0: Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. Your host, as always, is Fred. Our desire is to encourage, exhort, and educate on biblical prayer through this podcast. The mission of the podcast is to help everyone God allows us to help achieve a growing, biblical, dynamic, and satisfying prayer life. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can reach us at prayer at gmail.com. If you would like, you can make a positive review wherever you get your podcast. That would be appreciated. Welcome to today's episode of Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast.
1: Welcome again to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. Uh, I don't always let you know, but just as a reminder, my name is Fred. I know Richard does that in the uh, introduction. Um, and we are looking at prayer. We've gone through um, a few episodes on prayer, some devotionals on prayer as well, to help uh, in, uh, to help anyone in their prayer life. Uh, that's the goal is to give you a, a a dynamic and real prayer life before God because it is life fulfilling we've talked about that before and so right now we're in episode 6 part 2 and the the title for this episode 6 is the word of how the word of God informs and leads our prayers and it's supposed to do that and the Word of God has a special place for us. We we talked uh, last time about that being the measuring stick for us and how our lives measure that. And so last time we looked at Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, and we saw many of the facets uh, through the words that David used about the Word of God and how they affected and changed our prayer life uh, when, we, when we begin to understand the Word of God and, and those facets in the Word of God. And so in part two, uh, in this episode, we're going to look through a key passage in the book of Hebrews. It's uh, Hebrews chapter four, uh, verses 12 and 13. And we want to examine the prerogative the word of God has to lead our prayer lives uh, and actually to lead all our lives. And and I use the word prerogative because it, it does have that place. Um, if, when my kids were little, and sometimes they would... Um, uh, not be getting along. And one of them would say to the other, you're not the boss of me. We've all heard that. We've all probably said that before in our lives. But the Word of God is the boss of us. And what uh, can be frustrating is when you hear somebody take the Word of God and, and manipulate it or change it or um, even outright deny it, and that's not the way it's supposed to work. And that's why it's important that we understand the place of the word of God in our lives. And, and that, so that's what we're going to look at today. And one of the key places that the word of God itself teaches us that is in Hebrews 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Now, every passage does have one interpretation. And sometimes that is... Um, Talked about and discussed and kicked around, but the reality is every passage only has one interpretation, one true interpretation. And getting to that, like I said, can sometimes be tricky. And there has been, uh, there is a consensus uh, in orthodoxy uh, about most, well, most of the Bible. But uh, But the point of that, obviously, is that every passage has one interpretation. And then from that truth, from that interpretation, as long as we are being uh, true, uh, biblically true and biblically honest, we can often apply that passage in many different ways. And you've heard that before and you've heard preachers preach about the same passage, or even maybe your pastor has uh, has gone all the way through the Bible and then come back and is going through the Bible again. And his sermons are at least a little bit different than they were before because he's a different preacher. His understanding of the word is different. He's grown as well during that time. <clears throat> but as long as we're being honest with the word of God, we... We can apply that in, in many ways. And obviously, the point of that for the teacher is to apply those for our positive motivation, uh, in, in the, through the Word of God and the Word of God. So we're going to take a look at this passage. We're going to take a look at the context of the passage. And then we're going to expand that context to, uh, prayer and the application of our prayer and how it not only informs our prayer lives, but actually guides us to biblical prayer as well. Now, Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, in its very basics, if you were to cut it down to the bare bones, which is interesting because of the way the passage reads, um, but if you were to cut it down to its bare bones, it teaches, the Word of God teaches that the Word of God judges us and we do not judge it. So we can't take out parts of the Word of God because we don't like them. And there are parts of the Word of God that we don't like, some that we don't understand, and some that we plain don't like. Uh, That's not our place at, at this point to talk about those things. But when we come to the Word of God honestly, we need to come to it as the authority. We're not the authority. Our opinion's not the authority. It's the authority. And so... Um The pointed statement then for our application as far as prayer is concerned, is that as we mature in Christ, as we grow spiritually, our prayers should also conform to the Word of God. And that's that's the very basic. that's what we're going to talk about today. Now the book of Hebrews itself, the whole book, is an exhortation for the people of God to hang on to their belief.'ve they've, they've professed uh, faith in Christ, <clears throat> they've started in one way or another to follow uh, the, the scriptures and, and the, the, the good news and the meaning of the, of the Bible, uh, even though it wasn't fully formed yet. You had the Old Testament and then you had the apostles' teaching, which formed the basis of the New Testament. And the book of Hebrews is for our encouragement to hang on to what we believe, hang on to what we, uh, what we know and what we live by faith. And it does this through a couple of ways. Obviously, it it reinforces um, that we are supposed to live by faith. It does reinforce the good news of the gospel. It reinforces who Jesus is. And it also reinforces and gives us an example of faithful saints from the past. And then, so we're encouraged to follow their example. We're also encouraged to follow the example of Jesus Christ, our Savior himself. And, and this, uh, in earnest, is the beginning of chapter 12. We see the hope that he has, so he endured the cross. We see his obedience in, the, in, um, in going to the cross, and the perspective, uh, all this gives perspective to our Christian walk. And, and we're, again, supposed to follow that example. So that's what the whole book, in the big picture, that's what the book is about. That's what it teaches, is hanging on to that faith. And then in our passage, Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, he says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both the joints and the marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And I just actually love that, the, the way that that verse is constructed, the, the English of it, uh, the way that that's instru- uh, constructed. Uh, because, it again, it adds to that kind of weightiness, that internal, eternal import that the word of God has uh, for all of his children. Now this passage though does come in the middle of chapter four in the book of, of Hebrews. Uh, I didn't actually plan on this, but I'm going to throw this into when I was first reading through the Bible, um, and learning, uh, learning the Bible, learning uh, what it said. Uh, very often you'll read in the book of Hebrews that he, the the writer will use, um, uh, something, uh, a sentence, something like this, that, uh, that he'll say, we know somebody somewhere wrote. And then he will quote a scripture. And his scripture quotes are true, uh, are accurate to what the Old Testament says. But it always bothered me that he didn't know the chapter and verse where that was found. Uh, And as I then learned that the chapters and verses were a man-made construction over the Word of God. Uh, I felt silly about that um, That thought, that that it was kind of disappointing that the book of Hebrews didn't know the chapter and verse. There weren't any chapter and verses when he, when he wrote this book. But his quotes from the book are, are obviously accurate. They're biblical. He was led by the Holy Spirit, who led him to not only the right words to say, but the right biblical quotes to use. But Hebrews 4 is in the middle of this book on encouragement. Again, to hold fast to our faith, to keep on believing. And actually, chapter in, in the whole of chapter Hebrews 4, what he is warning about is the danger of not uh, joining or marrying the hearing of the good news with faith, belief. And so it's one thing to hear the message of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's another to believe it, to have faith in it. And that's the uh, the context of Hebrews uh, chapter four. Now, <clears throat> in the immediate context of chapter four in Hebrews, the writer is, uh, like I said, warning us about um, marrying what we've heard with faith, with true faith, and. We see in Hebrews three twelve he uh, he has this exhortation: uh, Take care, brethren, lest there should be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart, falling away from the living God. And again, that adds to this context is that's what he's talking about: unbelief. Uh, it's it's faith uh, that um, when people hear the good wo- good news, that it's that faith that belief that either leads them to believe or leads them away from believing. And so in Hebrews, again, that's his point, uh, and that nobody should have that evil or un- and unbelieving heart. And then in Hebrews 4, uh, are the chapter that we're, we're in, uh, verses 2 and 3, he says this, For indeed we have had the good news preached to us, just as they did also. But the word they heard did not profit them, Because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we also have believed, uh, for we who have believed, I'm sorry, for we who have believed, that's verse 3, enter that rest. Just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So he did his work, they were finished, planned from the foundation of the world but they didn't get to that rest because they didn't believe. They didn't bring what they heard with faith. And we can also follow this with uh, with uh, verse 14, again from Hebrews 4. So then the writer says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. And so we see we see what this chapter is about. We see the immediate context that these verses come in the middle of uh, the writer of Hebrews encouraging us to hold fast to our confession, to keep on believing, to keep doing the things that we're supposed to be doing because obedience is part of believing. And so the context, again, of Hebrew 4 is the warning and the exhortation to keep on believing, to, again, hold fast to our confession. And actually in this verse as well, we're led to prayer also through verse 16, because in Hebrews 4, 16, he says, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So in this chapter, in the book of Hebrews, he goes from the warning about um, uh, marrying our Faith, our belief with what we've heard. And then he looks at 12 and 13. We'll get there in a minute. He mentions 12 and 13. But then he goes on to say, after that, he talks about the sufficiency of Christ as our high priest. And he's given us access through his sacrifice, through his high priestly work. He's given us access to the very throne room of God for our needs. And that's how he finishes that section. And so as we As we're fitting this verses twelve and thirteen into the context of what the overall uh, purpose of the writer of Hebrews is, uh, we we will we see from uh, sixteen. Um, chapter 6 or verse 16, that that does include prayer. We can go into, we can go boldly, it even says in another place, into the throne room of God because of who, actually it's with confidence in this verse, um, because of who Christ is, what he did for us, and what he continues to do for us. And the good news, um, as we fit 12 and 13 into this context uh, more more closely. The good news spoken in Hebrews 4.2 is that uh, Jesus Christ and his life, death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins and salvation from death to eternal life. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what we take everywhere is this is what Jesus has done for us. And we need that because we are headed for eternal death as opposed to eternal life if we don't if we don't grab onto that confession, if we don't believe the word of God. And so the warning uh, that's voiced, uh, it's voiced in verse two. And the author makes the point that the unbelieving in the past, the unbelievers in the past, they didn't bring those two together. They saw the works of God and the works of God were actually planned before the foundation of the world. They saw those works of God, but they didn't believe them. They didn't take them to heart. They didn't trust in them. And then uh, the, the writer throughout the rest of this chapter builds the case, the critical need for faith, believing. And we're going to talk about faith uh, in a couple of more episodes, and we're going to explode that out even more uh, Uh, I don't think we've done it at all yet, but we're going to explode it out so that we see how actually prayer is a very critical way that we show our faith. But um, we believe it by faith. We trust it. We put our trust in it. And now when we come to our verses, our passage, 12 and 13, and I would like to um, read that just one more time. Uh, For the word of God is living... And active, sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, both of the joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So these verses come in the midst of that. And what they tell us is... That the word of God actually judges our faith. It's not the other way around. The word of God is there to open us up, to open our hearts, minds, and souls. That's why it's called the little, uh, a little dagger that, that the the um, sharper than any two-edged sword. It that's just the, the little, the little dagger. The um, uh, I don't know what else you would call it, but that. That's the word that it's talking about when it talks about um, God's word being a sword here. Um, It's that that little precise sword, and it opens us up and opens what we say we believe up, and it gets right to the very heart of the matter. It gets to our heart and to our soul, and it reveals our faith or lack of faith. It reveals what we believe um, or our lack of belief. Now, when it gets to when we get to the point of, of that passage where it says it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions, it's interesting because I've never read that word "judge" carrying like the full weight of con- con- condemnation for me. It's, it's always has it's always um, had to me the the flavor of evaluation more than judgment. So. In that respect, I've never been afraid of this passage, as far as its judgment. And now it does carry that import of judgment, but as we know, there are shades of of meanings to every everything, everything we use in English, and everything we use in any language. There's um, uh, there are obviously precise meanings, but there are shades to that. And as I've always read that, I've always read into that the. Uh, the shade the kind of perspective of the idea that it's not for judgment although it can be for judgment but it's for revealing and for um, uh, not only revealing our faith faith, but helping us evaluate our faith as well so God does come to us, his word does come to us and it does judge or reveal the thoughts and intentions of our heart Uh, but it it reveals what's there. Uh, many years ago, uh, when you, uh, when I was discussing uh, with people, the the idea that uh, were the temptations of Jesus real, and if he was perfect and if he couldn't have been tempted to do evil, were the tests fair, and and obviously that's the position that i would take i think that's the orthodox position as well biblical position uh, i would call it i like even better is that not only did jesus pass those tests but he couldn't have failed them and so then the question came well are those tests real if if that's true and in actuality they are real and uh, i use uh, for instance if you were to if you were out gold mining mining for gold and there is a uh, a way and I can't remember the chemical now and I just thought of this too but there is a way that gold is tested to tell you how much of that chunk that you have is gold and uh, you put uh, you put a chemical on it and, and how the chemical reacts uh, tells you how much gold is there and how much other stuff is there, how many impurities are there. But if you're out gold mining and you find a perfect piece of gold that's 100% gold all the way through, and you take it to the assay office, and they test it for you, and they tell you this is a pure 100% piece of gold, that does not mean the test was not a true test. It revealed that you have 100% gold, but it doesn't negate the test. The test is still the test. That's still how you measure. And so Jesus' ability to, uh, his inability to sin, doesn't mean the temptations were not real. But the temptations, though, did reveal who he was and his worthiness to die on the cross for us. And so we have the, the the idea of judgment in that shade, meaning to reveal and evaluate. Okay, so I hope that makes sense. And that's the way I've always read this word. Now, obviously, as judge over us, as as the Word of God judges, there is that element of uh, true faith and and faith that isn't true, and we need that. We need that judgment from the Word of God to know whether we are really saved or not, or to know um, what is critical for us uh, to believe and not deny as far as salvation is concerned. And for instance, one of those um, is if you say okay i started believing and this is why the whole book of galatians is written if you say well i've started i believe i believe the gospel i believe what god said now i have to keep certain rules so that i will be saved you don't understand you don't understand faith you don't understand the gospel and that's one of those irreducible minimums that if you if you were to go to to go to heaven and say um The reason you should let me in, Jesus, is because I believe in you. um, And on top of that, I've earned my way here by doing all these works. Uh, That's not going to get you in. The belief gets you in. The trusting in him when we go to God. And I've already have my, (laughs) what I'm going to say to him, practice. So when I pick myself up from worshiping him when I first see him, the only reason you should let me in, Jesus, is because of your blood shed on my behalf. Your cleansing blood, and that's the essence of salvation. We don't we don't believe and then add works to that to get saved. We're saved, and we do good things. We do obey God, and we're going to even uh, kind of hint at this as we go through um, this episode. But those works don't save us, and it's important for us to know that. Now, while the Word of God is that measuring stick of true faith, uh, so what people say, um, or truly believe that, that, that word of God is, is true. So if you're, if you're trusting in, uh, faith and something else, you know, that you have to do certain works, um, then you fall short of that measure. It also helps the Christians, true Christians live our lives of faith and the word of God for us evaluates and reveals the extent of our faith and the obedience that we need to have to, to, and it leads us ahead in that obedience. So it it judges or it evaluates, it reveals the extent of our faith and uh, what we need to do. And just for instance, in that regard, uh, the the more you mature in Christ, the more you get to know about Christ, the more you get to know about God, the more you mature. One of the things that you realize later on is not believing doubting God not believing he's going to uh, do what's right he's going to take take care of of you take care of his promises fulfill his promises that actually is sin and most of the time when we first come to uh, come to Christ we first become a Christian we have way more things to worry about than whether or not we believe. But when we get into a situation and we get afraid that maybe God's not working or maybe he's not going to do what we need him to do, that itself is sin. And so when we take a look at the word of God and, and boy, I just thought of this, I should have looked this up in Romans as well, but you can look it up. Paul says at the end of Romans, whatever is not of faith is sin. So we know that that's true. And God reveals that to us when we're ready to accept it, when, when some of the other stuff that we do and that we need to repent of are taken care of, we still have more to do. That's why we continually grow in, uh, in our faith and in Christ. But the word of God reveals that word, It reveals that to us. And it helps us to see where we're at in respect to where we should be. Again, that's a function of the Word of God, and if you were to turn to Matthew seven twenty four, uh, you would read that um, uh, that Matthew says, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine, and this is Jesus talking, this is not what Matthew says about himself, this is Jesus talking, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Okay, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hear his words and then build our lives on top of those. Now we also see in verse 13 that That uh, verse 13 actually talks about, uh, gives us the idea of how serious he is about um, our faith as well and who it is. It says, everything's open and laid bare with the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So we're not going to get away. We can't fool him. The word of God reveals to us what is in the word of God, what the standards are, what we need to do, uh, where our faith is, again, reveals it and then evaluates it for us. And we, we can't fool him. We can't pretend to be one way and really be another. I mean, we can try, but it's not going to work. And when we come to James 4, in verse 5, he says this, Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit he has made to dwell in us. So he takes this seriously. It's not, it's not a game. We're not playing around. He's not playing around. He jealously desires the spirit. So he wants us to to listen, to build our life on his words, and then to know that this is serious stuff. It's not It's not emptiness or it's not um, weakness. It is, it is serious and he's serious about it. And so we have the word of God for the children of God, <clears throat> not only performing uh, as far as ju- judging, showing us whether our faith is real or not, but then revealing and evaluating our faith. And here in Idaho, one of the money-making crops that we have is the potato. You probably have heard that before. Now, when they harvest a potato, they go through an inspection process, a judgment process, if you will. And during that inspection, uh, to be sure, the potatoes that are are bad, they're removed, right? They pick them up. The people pick them up. They throw them out. And then, though, as the potatoes go on through the, the evaluation process, they're going to be different Um qualities of potatoes, different sizes of potatoes, and those potatoes are evaluated and sorted to their best application. From what I've heard, there are some potatoes that work great for making french fries. There are some that work better for making tater tots, and again, I don't know how they evaluate those, but uh, if you go to another state, you'll find that the really huge, big Idaho potatoes they're exported, right? Because they make more money on those than than they do. So that's that's just the way that the potatoes are sorted and judged, if you will. And so the principle is the same, that w- the Word of God evaluates. It judges our faith. It reveals our faith. But it's not potatoes we're talking about. It's eternal life. And for us right now, it's, it's the difference between living that abundant life and not living that abundant life. So we need to let the word of God uh, penetrate, as it's going to do, cut between the the bone and the marrow, and let it dig deep and then reveal our faith to us, and then show us the way. And now there are a ton of passages in the New Testament, and I mentioned this last week as well. I'm going to mention it again. If if it was just, and again, sometimes a pastor will drive me crazy because. And and it probably is for them because of the special call in their life, but you you get the idea that all you have to do is read the word of God and then do it, and in perfect obedience, you know, you, you if you're a true Christian, you'll be perfect in your obedience. Well, we know that that's not the case, and the Bible is full of those kind of exhortations for us that help. That's what the word of God again revealing our faith, and then. Uh, guiding our faith as well. One of those favorite, uh, one of those passages for me that's favorite, it's a a memory passage that I have, comes in 2 Peter. And I just want to go uh, to read that real quickly. And it's 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. And Peter there says, now for this very reason, because of our salvation, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self control, and in your self control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now, this isn't the place that I want to obviously go through that whole passage, but as I understand that, the way to look at this passage, uh, the way it's constructed in the Greek, is uh, like a spiral staircase. That, that actually goes up and up and up till we till we get to glory forever for us. And that so it's not that we 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 hit one goal and then we move automatically on to the next, but that we keep going up that staircase. So we start out with diligence and then moral excellence and then knowledge and then self-control and perseverance and and you get the idea we're going up a circular staircase. But that is one of the places that the word of God penetrates and again, in its judgment is not judging us, unless we don't have any faith at all, but it's telling us if we do have faith, this is where we are along. This is what rung we may be working on. And so we the word of God is the mechanism for Hebrews 4.12 that cuts through our thoughts and our intentions, and we compare our thoughts and intentions with those exhortations from the word of God, and then we conform to them, not the other way around. Okay. And now in the context of our verses, then here in Hebrews, the context of these two verses in relation to our faith and in who Jesus is and in what he has done for our souls, the word of God gives us direction and the importance of holding fast to what we have been taught and believe. And it helps us to reveals to us, even if we have faith or not. And so that's the context. So I wanted to get that straight. I didn't want to be pulling this out of its context to try to make a point. Um, The point is the word of God judges us and leads us and opens up to us uh, and, and not the other way around. We don't get to choose what we like. And we're going to look at that some here in a little bit as well. Now, the very fact that we come to God in prayer at all is a wonderful and powerful indication of our faith, and we're going to do, look at at least one episode on this uh, in in a little bit. But the fact that we pray at all reveals our faith, and when then we learn again from Hebrews twelve and thirteen that our prayers need to be informed and conformed to His Word. And as we um, analogized at the beginning of this whole endeavor of the podcast is children just start to talk right and so our exhortation is and our need is and the reality is we need to start praying and then with the expect expectation that we're going to grow and learn and we're going to grow into this but once we realize that we need to submit to the word of god and that we're not judge of it we actually learn some very essential things in our prayer life as we begin to to look at what's important as we come to, to, to the Word of God, and it helps inform our prayers, uh, I want to begin with faith itself, and it is of the utmost importance. And there's a lot of passages all the way through Scripture from the Old and New Testament that talk about faith and the importance of faith. And it is truly God's desire that we walk by faith. And uh, not by sight, it even says in the in book of Ephesians. Um, but we're supposed to walk by faith. And again, when we, when we talk about faith and prayer uh, in a standalone episode coming up, we're going we're gonna to break these all the way down. We're going to look at all of these. But for today, I just wanted to go to Romans 1, 16 and 17, because this is one of the the places there are four very specific places in scripture where we where this quote is used and that reinforces to me how important it is to god that we walk by faith and so romans 1 16 and 17 uh, paul says for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the jew first and also to the greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And so the first thing we need to grasp is that we're supposed to walk by faith. We're supposed to trust and believe God. And it's so important to him. Again, he mentions it to us four times. And so as we, um, as we look at our faith and, and look at our prayer life, Are we praying in faith? Are we praying believing? The gospel is the good news, right? What Jesus has done. We've talked about that. And then from there, we walk by faith, trusting in him. And as far as prayer goes, I remember a quote from Charles Spurgeon. And I do apologize. I don't remember what book it is in now. This is another one that I didn't plan for. But he said for uh, a child of God to talk to God, to pray to God, and then not expect an answer would be as silly as going into a bank, writing out a check, giving it to the teller, and then walking out the door without the money that you wrote the check for, right? You wrote the check for a reason to get the money. And uh, and so he used that as as if you're playing, praying in unbelief, you're just being silly. You need to expect an answer. And we've looked before uh, in this podcast as far as sometimes he answers it exactly, right? Sometimes he answers our prayers with a twist, and sometimes he says no. But we do need to come to God, expecting him to answer by faith, believing him. And now we've also seen recently in the podcast that the ultimate purpose of prayer is to glorify God. And and you, we see that all the way through the Word of God, and we're gonna we're gonna touch on that as well. Uh, in the future but that's a nebulous time <clears throat> in the future we've also seen that the chief purpose of prayer is to conform us as individuals to god's will remember we looked at that uh, recently as well so the ultimate purpose the largest purpose is to glorify him the chief purpose in our prayers for our our, our daily walk here our sojourn as i like to st- to, to borrow from the Bible as well, when we're on earth, that chief purpose is to conform us to him, to conform us to, or to, to um, for us to conform to his will. Sorry, I said that backwards, but actually then I anticipate what, where we're going next. Um, because that chief purpose is to, again, have us pray, <clears throat> according to his will. And then, so we might ask, what is his will? What's the pinnacle of God's will for God's children? That's what we want to look at next. And so if you were to turn to Romans 8.28, and I would encourage you to do this at some point, you will read, actually 8.29, you will read that he says, from uh, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, so his will is that we be conformed to the image of his son. And then in Luke 6.40, Jesus says, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. So in our maturity, we are supposed to be more and more like Jesus. And so for us, one of the themes that should run through our prayer life is conforming, to to, being like Jesus, to growing spiritually, to, to growing in sanctification so that we're more like Jesus. So as we pray for our daily needs, part of that that is we need to keep in perspective our most basic need, most important need, is to be conformed to his image. Not even necessarily having our bills paid, although those are very important at, at some points in time, or um, uh, uh, the right job for us to be in. It's being conformed to his image. So we have that first um, uh, level of being uh, prayer is faith and then being like Jesus. Those are are important. And as we grow in our faith, those will become more and more interwoven into our prayers. Now, the word of God also uh, is clear to us that our daily practices are supposed to reflect his holiness. And so this is along the same lines, but it's a very specific call to holiness. And in both the Old and New Testament, God makes it clear that we are supposed to be holy. And so if you were to look in Leviticus nineteen two, you would read there that it says, Speak to all this congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So we're supposed to be like him. Israel was supposed to be like him. As Christians, we're supposed to be like him. And then if we turn to um, 1 Peter 1.16, he quotes from this passage and, and and in the flow of his book, he talks about our life and, and what we're supposed to do. And he says in verse 16, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now that holiness is just like in 640, Luke 640, it says as, as we are fully trained, right? And that's what we're now in that training process. So, but that has to be our aim. Holiness has to be our aim. Holiness has to be our prayer. And so we see, even in just these two examples, and we've just kind of touched the surface, surface that there are plenty of concerns that we have to pray about that go beyond what we may have been praying already. And now there are uh, parts of the word of God that teach us specifically how we can walk by faith and what we can do to walk by faith. And I just want to touch on two of the really challenging ones um, that we have uh, as we read the word of God. And again, as it reveals to us where we're at in our faith and what we need to do in our faith. And therefore where we're at in our prayer life and where, uh, where our prayer lives need to be guided to. And I know you know this as well, but I want to read this as well. This is Luke 6, again, back in Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. And he says, But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Luke 6:27 and 28. And then Luke 6:35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your, wor- your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the most high, for he himself is kind to ungrateful he is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So again, as we see our, our prayer and as we want to be holy and we want to be like him through those prayers, as far as praying for his will, praying for, for um, uh, what he wants us to be concerned about, one of the real tough ones, and this is why I, I chose it, is because in real life we have people that we don't like, and we have people that don't like us. And we don't have any option but to forgive and to pray for them and to love them. We don't get to choose. We don't get to hang on to grudges. We don't get to choose who we who we who we give that to. And God is our example. He's given that to us, right? And now, um, So we're supposed to be forgiving and gracious uh, to everybody, everybody, but especially our enemies. And our Savior, our Father in heaven, is merciful. So merciful, as a matter of fact, that he saved us, didn't he? He saved me, and my sins are awful. And he forgives us daily. And despite our sins and weaknesses, he loves us and does good for us and will ultimately bring us into his presence forever and ever. And that's what we're supposed to share with other people. And that is difficult, but that's one of those those pot, spots in the Bible that we're open and laid bare to, right? We don't have any choice. Uh, and without Christ empowering us and leading us, it's impossible for us to do that. Um, and it may be... Uh, possible for us to do it on an occasion, but it's not possible for us to live that life. But we're still called to be forgiving. And as we are forgiving and merciful, we are being more like Christ, right? And our our hearts take great joy. Our souls take great joy that God is working with us. Because when we do finally forgive that person who despitefully used us, we have that peace and harmony um, in our souls and we know that God is working. And in forgiving, we also keep peace and harmony in the church, right? Because we're we're still weak and we still hurt each other's feelings and we still do things we're not supposed to do. And for a, a church, a family unit of God's to be whole and to be healthy, we have to be able to forgive one another. And then our message to the world is impacted because they're going to believe us to the extent that we have that forgiving spirit as well. And so all of our lives, all of every aspect of our lives are wrapped up in the fact that we do need to obey God um, and to listen to God in this respect and forgive our enemies and not only forgive them, but do good to them. If you have an opportunity, you do good to them right? If you have the opportunity, you give them what they need. You're gracious. He says, lend, but then says, don't expect anything back when you lend. And there are people in your life that that may be true about. And that is what we're supposed to do as Christians. Very hard, but that's one thing we can be praying for. And one of the things that that means is that person may not go away, what they did is certainly not going to go away. How they hated you or what they did to you is certainly not going to go away. And we can't really forget. People say forgive and forget. Sometimes I'll tell you a funny story about that. But <clears throat> for now, people say that. We can't really can't forget. But what that means is every time it comes up and every time that anger and that, um, uh, that uh, anger that you get towards that person starts to well up, you stop and say, Lord, I need to forgive them over and over again. And it gets easier and easier. And you'll have to do that less and less in time. But that's what we're supposed to do. Okay. Now, the second passage that I wanted to look at uh, for today as far as this, um, how we walk by faith. And we do that by faith. We may not see the reward here, right? When we forgive our enemies, we may not see the reward. Sometimes you'll hear the story about how the person turned around. And I've got a couple of those in my life where they turned around, but sometimes they don't. That's not our reward. Whether they stop being our enemy or not is not the reward. Our reward comes from God. Now, the second uh, passage that I want to look at is the same on this uh, deeper level, and that's in Philippians 2, 3 through 5. And Paul there says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay? So we have another challenge. Not only are we to forgive our enemies, but in our daily lives, other people are supposed to be more important than us. Okay? That's why you still might open the door for whoever is there, man, woman, or child. Um, The other day I noticed... um, uh, I was riding an elevator and I got on the elevator and the person who was already on the elevator, uh, held the door open, uh, you know, put their hand in front of the door and w- the person who went in before me was being pushed in a wheelchair. And so, uh, that, that, you know, he got pushed in the elevator, we got in the elevator and as the door closed, the man in the wheelchair said to the person who was holding the door, thank you very much for holding that door for me. And then he said, I can't do very much anymore, but I can say thank you. Which I thought was terrific. And then the person who was standing there as well, who ended up being a Christian, said to him, Well, you may not be able to do what you would like to do uh, the way you would like to do it anymore, but you did the important thing. You said thank you. And the guy made some comment about not being able to do what he used to do. And then the person at the door again was gracious and said, No, but you did the important thing. You said thank you. And I appreciate that. And when we hold the door for someone... When we let them into traffic as they're trying to merge, even though they made a decision and, and, um, and uh, wasn't a good one, so they're kind of pushing themselves in. When we uh, do what our wives ask us to do, gentlemen, we're putting their needs in front of us. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're asked to do. That's what the word of God tells us to do. So now do you see the importance of conforming our prayers to that? Because none of those things are natural for us. It's not natural. It's not in the flesh naturally for us to do nothing from selfishness or conceit. Most of the time, we're fighting for that parking spot, or we're in a hurry, so we close the elevator doors, or we're fighting for that spot on the freeway, right? We're not, it's not natural for us, but God calls us to be like Him, and His will is not natural to us either. And we need to conform to the Word of God, and our prayers should reflect that. It takes prayer to get to that place where we do nothing from selfishness uh, or empty conceit. And when we look out for other interests other than ours, it takes prayer for us to do that. It takes getting serious before God, getting on our knees, and praying. Now, I have mentioned before that we do have the freedom to pray to God whatever is on our hearts. And we do. We have that permission in many places, but the most clearly we can see in Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And as we mature in Christ, now as we mature in Christ, as as we've said, um, our prayers will reflect those changes. Uh, It will change our uh, conforming to the will of God, our desire to conform to the will of God. Now, at some point in time, I might have prayed for a 2014 Corvette. I actually haven't. But to be transparent, I have prayed for some silly things such as that before. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I made the point before, I might pray for that for a short period of time uh, because of what's important to me, That though that's going to fall away, right? I prayed for my mom's salvation, uh, i mentioned before, for more than 30 years. That never fell away. But to the extent I prayed for silly things or to the extent I might pray for a 2014 Corvette, I'm not praying that anymore, right? Those, those changes have, re, have uh, ref, been reflected as I mature and, and realized what really is important, what really is a need and what's necessary. And so our prayer lives will change, but knowing that we're supposed to conform to the Word of God Understanding that can help accelerate that change. Now, if you've just begun, if you began with this at the first of this this podcast, and and you've listened faithfully through, uh, first of all, props for listening to the earlier earlier episodes. Um, but if you're just starting and you've and you and you took to heart and you just beginning uh, to pray, and you just started praying, you may be kind of realizing at this point why i didn't talk about this early on in prayer that i didn't that i didn't mention this at the very beginning it is an important concept that is important not just concept but it's important for our our lives it's important for our lives but i didn't begin with that because we wanted right to encourage and to start that prayer and so remember we talked about there are rules, uh, forms, not rules necessarily, but rules (laughs) that that help us to pray, uh, just like we've learned today. But if you start there, you might get frustrated and stop praying, right? And in fact, right now, depending on where you are in your Christian life, in your prayer life, this episode may be terribly overwhelming. And I recorded that preface uh, earlier just because of that. It may be overwhelming. And it's it's been my prayer that this is not that for you in this episode. And, and you know my heart. I want you to keep praying. I want you to keep growing. I expect you to change and mature in your prayer lives. Um, but it is, though, and, I, and I've and i quoted Yogi Berry earlier in one of the episodes. A, at one point he said, if you don't know where you're going, how will you know when you get there? Very good question, right? And so we do need to go, with, know what the goals are. and We do need to know what the target is for our prayer lives. But I still don't want you to, to be frustrated and to stop and to, to let those things get in your way. Okay, so now you know where the goalpost is. Now you know where the target is. But that your prayer life will conform to that as you change and grow. And you realize that and you'll find greater and greater satisfaction in your prayer lives when you do, when you hit that target, when we start hitting that target. And sometimes you'll hit and miss, right? Um, And we'll have the satisfaction that our prayers are fulfilling that ultimate purpose for everything, which is to glorify God. As we start to pray in conformity to his word, we bring glory to his name. And that's fulfilling. That's fulfilling to our souls. That's fulfilling to our relationship with him. We also realize as we're doing that, that we're fulfilling that chief, chief purpose as well, right? For pray, praying. And that's praying so that we conform to his word and his will, his will especially. And so we want that to happen. And again, as we grow and mature, our prayers will reflect that. And our prayers obviously will have the import and the importance, and the, the um, weightiness, if you will, that they should have, and that's why we really need to go to God. What you know, what we go to God for. Um, and so, the, as you, as that happens, and you grow in prayer, the meaningfulness, uh, for lack of a better word, my limited vocabulary, that meaningfulness of our prayers is increased because we're conforming to what God wants us to pray. And then you also begin to realize as you mature in Christ that praying according to his word and his will gives to our everyday subordinate prayers, the daily things that we pray for, the little things that bother us, or the little things that we need. It gives deep and eternal meaning to every single one of those subordinate prayers. And so we may pray You know what? You need a job. You need to pray for a job. And you'll get a job. The Lord will supply. But over and above, he's called you to a specific place at a specific time to be a Christian witness to specific people. And so as you pray for a job, you're not praying for just money to to get along. You're praying for the right place to God to be able to use you in the spread of the gospel or to be able to learn from you. Uh, for you to be able to learn. He'll you know, you know, get you in front of people that will teach you um, uh, as mature Christians that may be a little ahead of you. And so our prayers glorify God on a deeper level. They bring us into conformity to his perfect will for us, which is to be like Jesus on a deeper level. And then they give us that eternal eternal meaning to everything we pray about, every prayer we utter. Thanks be to God who always leads us in His triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Just that—that's one of my member verses that just popped up because thanks be to God that He gives us that opportunity to pray and to mature in prayer and to have our prayers go beyond our shallow daily um, needs that we that we may have, and so we do give Him. Great. Thanks for that. And if for you, this has been overwhelming and I pray that it hasn't been a discouragement, but if you're not there yet and you're not ready to implement these things, or you think that they can't be done, please don't fret over it. Stop worrying about it. Keep praying. Keep seeking God the way you have been. Keep making that habit of praying. You will grow. It will happen automatically. Believe me it will happen automatically. And as you do, you're getting to know the wonderful God of the universe. So keep praying in faith. He's in charge of your spiritual growth. Believe me, he knows what he's doing. He knows what you need. and He knows the best way to bring you to maturity. Many years ago, again, at the end of Romans, um, I think it's in chapter 13 or chapter 14 and i was working with a young man actually i wasn't working with him uh, on a voluntary basis (laughs) Um, he had made some made some awful decisions and uh, a couple of them had um, an effect on or could have had an effect on my children and so we were we were talking about things and I was trying to get him to realize and it it really bothered me for a while. And then I, I I think it's in John uh, in Romans 14. And Paul says, who are you to judge the servant of another for by him? That's his, his um, God. That's God for by him. He'll stand or fall. And that's a paraphrase, but God's in charge of that other person. Right? So I was able to let go knowing, that that God was going to teach him and he was going to grow. And you need to know that for yourself as well. He knows exactly what you need. He knows the best way to mature you. He knows the best way to mature all of us. And what he wants most of all is communion with us, his children. So please keep praying. You'll find that you're going to grow. Your life is going to change. You're going to mature. And the target that seems way out in front of you now One of these days you're going to wake up and it's right beside you because you've hit it. And then you're going to greatly rejoice even more. And you're going to have the peace of God even more. And even though we don't fully understand those things, that's going to happen. So key is the place of God's word in our lives and in our prayer lives especially. We need to be informed of what's important and what the word says and then be conformed To pray, what's important and what the Word says. Thank you again for listening. Uh, The next full episode, uh, there's going to be a couple in between, but the next full one, uh, we're going to take a look at selected passages. It's going to be on the Word of God again, but we're going to take uh, take a look at selected passages that are designed to give us biblical insight into who God is, who God and our Savior is, and Prayerfully, they'll help increase our faith, they'll help uh, increase our belief in him, and uh, lead us to a, a a fuller, more robust worship. And we're going to see what the Word of God has to reveal about uh, God through his names and through his attributes. So that's the plan. Like I said, we're going to have a couple of a little detours in between, but not anything great. And so we have received a few ma- emails. Um, I would I would call them trickling in, which is good. Uh, they're encouraging. Um, and there's been a couple of prayer requests. So if, you, if you've if you emailed, I'm praying for you and I will get back to you as well on those. Um, but mostly they've just been encouraging and being thankful for the podcast as well, which is actually very moving as well. So um, thank you, Jesus, for that. Uh, again, you can uh, email me at prayer at gmail.com. And if you'd like some prayer help, we have the Foundation of Prayer Primer, and you can request one. You could actually email me and I can get you one. Um, Or you can go to your prayer life help on the Etsy site. And at that site, you can order either a hard copy or download a PDF of that prayer primer. And it really will help as far as your your prayer life. Uh, for this morning too, I just wanted to, and I know this is a little bit long, but I did want to thank Richard Durrington for his voiceover help. Again, he does the introduction and he does the, um, the um, outro, I call it, at the end of the podcast as well. And he has been really key in mentoring me on the technical side of recording. Uh, and soon I'm I'm hoping to be able to implement some of his wonderful teaching uh, to make the podcast even better, to make it technically even better. Uh, but you can look. He, he has read uh, a couple of um, uh, books uh, for your enjoyment. Those are at our ST site as well, Your Prayer Life Help, again at the ST site. and the um, Actually, there's an opportunity if you'd like to download the Foundational Prayer Primer uh, audio version. So you could get to hear the book as opposed to read it if you, if you would like. And the instructions for that are there as well. And, and if you do have any voiceover needs, any kind of recording needs, Richard is really great at what he does and um, works very hard at it as well. And so you can reach him at durringtonr at gmail.com. And that's D U R R I N G T O N R. At gmail.com. Again, d-u-r-r-i-n-g-t-o-n-r at gmail.com. He also has a website, richarddurington.com. So, Richard, spelled in the classical way, R-I-C-H-A-R-D. Durington, his last name, d-u-r-r-i-n-g-t-o-n.com. And so, again, really do appreciate um, you listening. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for today. We do bless you and thank you for your wonderful grace and goodness to us. Keep leading us, Lord, to spiritual growth and maturity. Uh, Forgive us uh, daily our sins. Help us to forgive others. Help us to conform our will to your will, to conform our prayers to what you would have us to pray. All for your glory. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. For now, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.
0: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Free Range Preacher. We hope you enjoyed it and will join us for our next broadcast coming up soon. For Fred and myself, this is Richard Durrington saying, Make it a godly, fun-filled day.